0: Your Bibles, do keep them open, Uh, we're going to look at that passage and also the one slightly after it um, in chapter 18, two stories um, from the book of Exodus. Let's ask God to speak to us now. Lord God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would help each one of us to quieten our hearts to open our ears and to listen to what you have to say. We ask that you would speak to us and that you would help each one of us not just to hear but also to obey, to respond to your voice in the way that we live our lives in this coming week and in the years ahead. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. If you've spent any time around me, one of the things that you'll know about me is that I'm interested in finding out about leadership, learning about it, studying it, uh, reading about it. If you take a look at my bookshelves, probably one of the dominant themes that you'll see is there is a fair share of leadership books, books talking about leadership and numerous examples from various different things, a lot on sport, but not entirely uh, on leadership. When I studied at the uh, University of Wales in Aberystwyth and then up in Scotland in Aberdeen, both of my studies there, uh, particular area of interest and focus was on leadership. So I really enjoy uh, finding out about it. I've seen and experienced, and no doubt so have you, good leadership and bad leadership. And I've learned from both. Moving to New Zealand 13 and a half years ago, I was exposed to very different stories of leadership to the ones that I'd grown up with. I realized that one of the great leaders, who appeared actually in the picture that Rob had, statue of Sir Winston Churchill, leader I grew up revering, I realized is viewed very differently through an Anzac lens here in New Zealand. I also learned that leadership in New Zealand is a very complicated thing. Bear with me. On the one hand, New Zealand has produced some of the most recognized and acclaimed leaders throughout recent history. You think across a broad range of the cultural spheres. Think of Sir Edmund Hillary leading the way up Mount Everest. Dame Fina Cooper leading the way. Ernest Rutherford, Kate Sheppard, Richie McCaw, or more recently, Jacinda Ardern. All leaders in different ways. Enti- indeed, entire movements have been built in this land around leadership. Think Red Sox. And if you don't know what Red Sox are, you'll have to go and find out about those later on. But I've also learned, as I work with university students, that many New Zealanders shy away from the notion of leadership, not wanting to put themselves forward in case we're seen as being above ourselves. I see it regularly in the student groups that I work with. About this time of year, the student groups I work with have their leadership transitions, change of leadership of the student-led groups. Students want leadership, but very few of them want to put themselves forward for leadership. They don't necessarily want to be the leaders themselves. I suppose it's the tall poppy syndrome played out. Now, I don't know what you think of leadership. Maybe I've bored you already talking about leadership. Whether you consider yourself a leader or not, I believe it is an important topic. I actually believe it's a topic that throughout the Bible, we read a lot about. We're taught lots about it. Now, it's important to remember, the Bible is not a leadership book per se. But it is a book that tells us about the ultimate leader. The leader that we long for, the one of whom we read in Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You hear those different leadership terms? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That is the leader that we want. But the trouble with the Old Testament as we go through it is time and time again we read of God's people turning their backs on God's leader, on God. They turn their back on God's leadership, his reign and his rule and his blessing and they go their own way. And we've seen it time and time again throughout the book of Exodus. So by the time that we get to our chapters today, chapters 17 and 18, we see the effects of how sin has ruined the world. Death has entered. And God's people have been enslaved by the Egyptians. They're then dramatically delivered by God. And then in the most recent chapters that we've been looking at the last few weeks... God's people, the Israelites, have had to realise that God is their provider of their most basic needs, food and water. But they are still slow to learn. So today's passage is a lesson, or lessons, in leadership, recorded as history for us. But we're told in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things, in the story of Moses... The Exodus. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So they're there for us to get our hearts right and to heed the warnings, the mistakes that others have made. So Winston Churchill put it this way, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. In today's passage, we have two stories and two lessons to learn. So the first one, first, without God's help, we can do nothing. And that's the passage that James read to us in chapter 17. It's a really simple story. It's a simple lesson. God's people have had to learn to trust that God will provide for them that god will provide their daily bread their food and their water they've been given manna and they've been given water from the rock and i guess that's still a lesson that each of us needs to learn got to be careful because my children are sat in the service today but we have regular battles at meal times i don't like this i don't want that i'm too full i'm too hungry battles over food And one of the things that I am keen that our children learn, and I think is a good thing for all of us to learn, is the privilege of food provided for us. You might not like broccoli, but God has provided it. And there are many people in the world who would love to have broccoli. Now, you might be one of them, you might not. Maybe, maybe I come at it from a particular angle. I've talked before about how my grandmother was a refugee. She learned to treasure every little bit of food. I'm not going to say that you need to like everything. By all means, don't like broccoli if you don't want. But God has provided it. That's why Jesus reminds us to pray. In the lord's prayer give us this day our daily bread we are to trust the provision of god and god is saying to the israelites in the food and the drink look you're to trust me in that but now in this story he wants them to learn something else you trust me for food and drink trust me for deliverance from your enemies God has shown that he's triumphant in everything and he can be trusted to save his people. But the question that comes back to them and by implication to us is will you trust him? You see the Amalekites who we read of in verse 8 were descendants from Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. You don't need to know much about the story to know the battle that those brothers had been having. And it been going on since way back in Genesis 27 and now is continuing through the descendants many years later. And the Amalekites are descendants from Esau. And so they come to attack God's people at Rephidim. And as you'd expect, God's leader, Moses says we're not going to stand up for this we're going to stand up to it we're going to we're not just going to sit back and take the attack lying down we're going to fight back against them so he calls Joshua first time that we read about Joshua he says Joshua come you're going to help me here Joshua is eventually becoming uh, going to become Moses' successor and he says look fight bring some of the other Israelite men along And Moses promises, I'm going to stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. You see, Moses has realized what wise King Solomon would later on say in the Psalms. Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Or if you want it put more simply, if God's not in charge... And if God's not involved, it's pointless. And so Joshua goes and fights the Amalekites, and Moses, Aaron, and this guy called Hur stand at the top of the hill, and as long as Moses' hands are held up, the Israelites are winning. But when they are lowered, the Amalekites are winning. I'm sure that would be the kind of tactic that Ian Foster would love to be able to employ. Wouldn't that be so great if you could just go like that and you're winning? Don't go like that, you're losing. I think the implication is that while Moses' hands are lifted to God, it was a sign of prayer, an act of total dependence on God, looking up to him, recognising with God's help we can win, we can advance into battle. And when they drop... It's a sign of retreats and flailing fortunes. But like any of us, Moses grew weary. It's hard holding your hands up like that. I've actually damaged my shoulder, so every time I'm going up, it's really hard. But Moses grew weary. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, Andy or Glenn, if you've done this competition before where you've got young people to hold something and see how long they can hold something for. And eventually, arms become weary. Well, that's what happens here. And so Aaron and her show two of those great leadership skills, teamwork and tenacity, bringing people together the desire not to give up and they couple it with other skills cooperation and creativity so you've got teamwork, tenacity cooperation, creativity and they put a stone underneath Moses for him to sit on and then they stand holding his hands so they remain steady till sunset and we read in verse 13 of chapter 17 so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword brilliant story inspiring leadership I suppose it's a number eight wire mentality long before Kiwis were around but the story doesn't end there have a look at verse 14 then the Lord said to Moses write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven you see God wants the Israelites to remember this story We're told that he tells Moses to write it down on a scroll. It may be this book of Exodus, but more probably is the book of Wars of the Lord that we read about it in the book of Numbers. God wants the Israelites to remember the story, but God also wants Joshua to hear the story. Joshua's been in the middle of the battle. He may not have known exactly what had happened to Moses and how the battle have won. And by implication, God wants each one of us to hear this story as well because the and the Amalekites are going to be wiped out no one's going to tell the stories of them in years to come so God records it for us we read in verse 15 that Moses worships God with an altar and recognizes that the Lord is his banner recognizes that the attack was on God and God and his people have prevailed because God has provided deliverance from his enemies so this incident and Moses' retelling, it, uh, retelling of it reminds the Israelites and reminds each one of us today that without God's help, we can do nothing. So let me ask you, do you really believe that? Do we really believe that? Without God's help, that we can do nothing? I wonder, are we, am I, are you? trying to do life without God dare I say it are the times that we try to do church without God God is an optional extra you see Moses has learned through his life that without God he can do nothing I love how Dale Moody describes Moses he says he spent 40 years of his life thinking that he was somebody He then spent 40 years of his life learning he was nobody. And then he spent 40 years of his life, the bit that we're looking at now, discovering what God can do with a nobody. See, without God, we are nothing. I was trying to think of some examples that I could give you, of examples of people who really understood the need for God to be at work. I'm actually taken back to my own university days. You know, I worked with students in the Christian groups on campus. As a student in the University of Aberdeen up in Scotland, we ran events weeks where we wanted to communicate the good news of Jesus with friends around us. They were brilliant experiences. I remember once putting up posters right the way up a lamppost, right to the top, so that no one could miss the fact that this event was going on during the week. But each morning in those events weeks, I remember them very clearly, we would gather together as a group of students, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, to pray. And we'd gather 50, 60, 70 Christian students to pray in the chaplaincy of the university. Remember it so well because we had so many people coming, it would spill out onto the street and we'd be praying in the streets. See, we understood at that stage That without God we can do nothing some of you will know the name of the famous long deceased Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon was talking once with a young Baptist pastor and he said to him the young Baptist pastor was bemoaning the fact no one's becoming a Christian at church And Spurgeon turned to the young pastor and he said, well, you don't expect anyone to become a Christian during church, do you? And the young pastor said, no, of course not. And Spurgeon said, well, that's why. So if you don't expect God to be at work, well, why should he? Isn't that what James says in James 4? You do not have because you do not ask. So let me apply it to each of us. Here at Hutt City Baptist Church, Are we depending on ourselves or God? Are we stuck in a rut doing the routine of Sunday services? We turn up, we sing some songs, pray, hear a sermon, say hello to old friends, and then we go our separate ways. Or are we truly dependent on God? On a number of occasions, I've visited a church in the heart of Brooklyn in New York, the Brooklyn Tabernacle you want to listen to some fantastic gospel music, Google or YouTube their choir, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Absolutely outstanding. But I would say it is the one church, and why, why is it the only one church that I've been to in the world where as you go into the services, there is a palpable sense of expectancy that God is going to move. Shouldn't that be what we're coming to a service thinking God is going to do it? Now, maybe it's just me. Maybe you do come with that. But each of us needs to have that expectancy. What is God going to do today? Well, maybe that's a word in season for us, for me. Without God's help, we can do nothing. And there's a reminder for us from uh, from Moses. Great victories can be won through God and through God alone. So that's the first story. But the second story in chapter 18 is about Moses and his father-in-law. Thankfully, my in-laws are far enough away that I can speak about them without uh, fear of reprisal, but they may. they may be listening, so I'll keep it civil. I know there are some people who refer to their in-laws as the outlaws. I would never do that, though I've often joked that the word mother-in-law, or three words mother-in-law, is an anagram of woman Hitler, Valerie, if you're listening, obviously that's not true of you. I don't know what your experience, for those of you that have in-laws, is like. But here in Exodus 18, we have the best of experiences. Look at it, verse 1. Jethro's heard all all that God has done. And in verse 9, we read that he praises God, the rescuer. Verse 11, he says, I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated uh, uh, treated Israel arrogantly. And then he brings sacrifices and a burnt offering before God. We're going to come to a story that you'll have to read later. Uh, A long chapter, chapter 18. I think that's why we've not read it through. But in verse 7, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, And Moses come together. And Moses tells Jethro of everything that God has done. Notice what Moses does. He says, this is what the Lord has done. He's not saying, this is what I've done, even though he's the person that's been doing it. He's saying, this is what God has done. Again, it's a reminder that unless God is in it, well, we can do nothing. And Moses tells of the highs and lows. Look at verse 8 tells him all about the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them Moses story is of God's salvation not Moses skill the Lord had saved them and so Jethro as any father-in-law would be is delighted to hear about what's been happening he realizes what God has been doing but then we read how day-to-day life is lived out in front of Jethro And Jethro realizes something's not quite right. If you want it summarized in a heading, it's here. With others' help, we can do more. Jethro comes to Moses. He sees Moses judging. And he he says, look at it in verse 17, quite bluntly, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Moses see uh, sorry Jethro sees that Moses is having to do all the work the people are coming to him and Moses is wearing himself out there's too much to do and Moses is involved in too many of the details you see God has called Moses to teach God's people God's laws and what should have been Moses major focus has been overtaken by lots of minor problems now they weren't wrong things to do but they weren't the thing that Moses had been set apart to do as the leader. It's not that these things were beneath Moses, but rather that God was calling him to lead God's people with the bigger picture. Moses must focus on his primary calling as the people's representative before God. Moses isn't saying, look, Moses, uh, uh, sorry, Jethro is not saying to Moses, look, it's wrong to do these things, but he's saying, look, others could do do these things. You see, God's way has always been through God's community. It's never been about an individual isolated from others. John Donne's famous quote, "No man or woman is an island," is absolutely spot on. We're called to be community. So let me bring that back home to us here at Hut City Baptist great to celebrate Rob's birthday and I said to Rob beforehand look Rob this isn't about you I'm not being negative or critical of you in any way here but Hut City Baptist is not just about Rob or the staff team or the eldership it's about each one of us who are here together as a community and if that's not clear enough let me state it a bit more directly Rob great as he is can't do everything. In fact, Rob shouldn't do everything. Now we all know Rob, and Rob probably wants to do everything, but that's not good for Rob, for us, certainly for Monica and the family, and I'm sure they would agree with me on that. You see, the strength of Hut City Baptist is that we have good leaders, good staff team good eldership, but our leaders can't and shouldn't be doing everything. We have a good community of capable people, and you're, if you're here today, you're one of them. There are folks who aren't here today that are also that as well. You see, I would be hopeless at doing the sound desk, and that's why I've never gone near the sound desk I'd be dreadful well I might be alright occasionally at music. No, okay, I wouldn't be good at music. But I do what I can do. That white wall that needs painting. I've got some ideas, but I can assure you I'm not gonna put my ideas on paper because I can guarantee they wouldn't get through and we wouldn't want them to get through. But some of you, that's exactly what you're Good at and should be doing. Let me apply it even further. Some of you will know previously I served on the eldership here, and then for a brief period I had the privilege of serving in a part time capacity as the senior pastor. Let me be absolutely clear this church is God's church, it's not Rob's church, it's not my church not Andrew, Kevin, Kathy, Andy, Wendy, any of the folks who've been in leadership through the years. I remember discussing this with someone when one of those people that I've just mentioned was leaving and them expressing concern about what would happen next. You see, that's the danger. Whether deliberately or not, we get sucked into thinking, oh, this is Rob's church. Even pastors do that. You get a group of pastors together and they start talking about my church. My church. How's your church? No, it's God's church. And he will build his church regardless of whether those leaders are there or not. Now, that's not to criticize leadership in any way. We need good leaders. Let me state it so directly, you can't miss it. When I was the pastor here, and still to this day, I am not the Messiah. Let's be absolutely clear. Rob is not the Messiah, Rob's not the saviour. God in and through his son Jesus is our saviour. And that is one of the reasons why this is recorded for us. Moses needs to learn he's not the Messiah. He's not the saviour. Other people can do the work. But ultimately we have one Messiah. One saviour. Jethro's saying that to Moses. Moses. You can't, you shouldn't do everything. Leadership has always been about getting others involved. I love what Warren Warren Wiersbe says, wise leaders take care to multiply themselves in others. And so Jethro cautions Moses. He urges him to seek God's will. Look at verse 19. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them, teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they're to live and how they're to behave. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times and let them bring the difficult cases before you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Do you see what he's saying? Teach God's people. Show them how they're going to live and behave or should live and behave. Select capable leaders. People who fear God and are trustworthy and appoint them and let them serve. Incidentally, that's just the kind of leaders that we need. Capable people who fear God and are trustworthy. So Jethro says all of this to Moses, and Moses has a choice. Is he going to listen to his father in law or not? Well, Moses humbly listens, and he does exactly what Jethro says. And then Jethro quietly disappears back to his own country out of the way. And we have a choice. I have a choice. You have a choice. Are we going to serve together? We're going to step up and serve. So that not everything is left to Rob. So that not everything is left to the staff. The eldership. We're going to serve together and recognize our Messiah, our Savior. Is not any of these leaders. But is the one that was going to come. And as Moses was going to discover and as we may discover. That with others help we can do far more no one person can bear it alone so as I close let me use those two stories to ask us personally for us as a church do we truly depend on God do our activities and actions reflect that utter dependence on God maybe we need to pray more to actively show that trust in God in your life, in my life. Do I have total dependence on God? Is He first in my life? Is God at the centre of who we are as Hut City Baptists? And then as Rob leads us, let me ask, have we bought in to a human leader as our Saviour? Or are we servants and co workers? At the foot of the cross, where the ground is level, we all come sinners serving a greater master. Over recent weeks and months, we've experienced the really sad loss of two key people who have served this church really well, Brom Pode and Steve Parkin. Both have served and led in very different ways. Bron chairing the eldership as part of the eldership team. Steve behind the scenes on sound and lights, building and maintenance. And from our perspective, we're absolutely gutted that God has called them home so soon. But we know and trust and believe that what the Bible says is true. That they are with Christ, which is better by far. Not just a bit better, better by far. That brilliant hope that Braun and Steve are with Jesus. I love what one writer says in responding to the passages that we've looked at today. God may not call you to be a leader, but he may call you to help a leader do a better job. Look, whether you're leaders here or whether you're not, we can all help each other and those that God has called to leadership, the staff, Rob, and elders, uh, elders, we can help them. Bron was in a position of leadership. Steve served behind the scenes. The Lord has called them home. So let's take up that baton and serve our savior together, whether in leadership or behind the scenes. Remembering, without God's help, we can do nothing. And with others' help, we can do more. Let's do it for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder of leadership in this passage. Thank you that you are the ultimate leader, our Savior and our Messiah. And help us totally depend on you, to trust you and follow you, and then together to serve you, working together for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.